Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 83 of Radiance, my original Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little stroll through the Fallout universe that I've been creating for us all. As always, if you can like, share and subscribe wherever you can. If you can leave me feedback, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. It's always welcome, and I always love hearing from you guys. And while at ghostnobody.com, you can either check out Storm Rider if you like, you know, big moody dragoness girls, elves, magic, and all the good stuff that you come to expect from me. Or you can pop over to the ghostly link section. Follow it on through to Mortis at Smashwords. Pick yourself up a copy of alien cat girls roaming around in a zombie apocalypse with a one-legged moody human sniper boy. And, you know, help support me. Keep me doing what I love, which is bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all Bethesda. I just keep the crazy tales and keep hoping for bloody Starfield. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 83. The Sea of Broken Dreams. Thankfully, the team have been listening in, haven't been listening to Fuller's conversation in the Railroad HQ. He knew where to move his power armour to, so that he was away from the staging area. As he'd been talking to Desdemona, he'd given a fairly detailed description of where it was supposedly supposed to be stashed. So when they headed out there, he was waiting right where he said it would be, courtesy of his soon-to-be former team. As soon as the XO3 snapped shut around him, he could see Glory looking at him with a mixed expression. What's up? He asked as his voice modulator started distorting his voice somewhat. Oh, nothing. Just thinking about how fucking intimidating you look in that bloody thing. Gotta say, it's proper evil looking. Says looking him up and down. Are you saying I'm not pretty anymore? Fuller said playfully, striking a pose and making Glory laugh and going to punch his shoulder until he deftly dodged her. Whoa, don't do that. He exclaimed, and she looked up at him in surprise until he pointed out the low protrusion Tesla coils mounted all over the suit. This type was designed not to stick out as much as the previous models, but they still carried as much charge when active. Damn, didn't even notice those things. Thanks for the heads up, Rory said. Got them powered down for now, but the suit has a defence system. If we get attacked, or if what it perceives as an attack, he'll kick them into gear automatically. And, well, fry your ass. He explained. God, you enclave t- types don't do shit by halves, do you? She said and he chuckled. You ought to see the Hellweaver variant. A lot of f- fire, great for making barbecued mole rats, that's for damn sure. He said, making her laugh and shake her head. All right, Tin Man, let's go meet with the others. we got a vertebrate to catch. She said and the pair headed off, though not quite as stealthily as before. The Minuteman Vertibird was waiting exactly where Desdemona said it would be. Fuller could instantly see that it was an older model, obviously salvaged from one of the nearby military bases and then painstakingly restored to working order before being painted in the garish blue and yellow of the Minutemen. You two, Owl and Glory? A voice called from nearby before a young woman poked her head out of a bush near the back of the aircraft. Not exactly covert operators of the year, are they? Glory hissed as she raised her hand to wave at the young woman, who was dressed in combat fatigues, a leather duster, and an odd-looking folded-side cowboy hat. Yep, that be us. 
He's old and I'm Glory. Glory said, approaching the young woman. Whoa, sick looking power armor, man. That thing looks awesome. Where the hell can I find me one of those? Pilot said, looking fuller up and down. Join the ESF and they'll kit you right out. All said, and the woman looked confused. The hell is the ESF? She asked, and Glory waved her off. Never mind, take too long to explain. So I'm guessing you are our ride to the glowing sea, I guess. Glory said. Yep, name's Melissa. Nice to meet you. This here's old blue. You might not look like much, but you'll get you anywhere you need to go right quick. And I'm sure be- as hell beats walking these days. I can tell you. General says I'm here to take you out to the edge of the sea, meet up with some of your people, and from there I'm to wait and bring you back and some passengers whenever you get out. Never known the general to do favours for anyone. Who isn't a settlement who needs our help before? So he must owe you guys. Melissa said thoughtfully. Glory just kind of shrugged. No idea. Our boss tells us where to go and what to do and we do it. Simple as. They sit in their nice cosy bunker while we get the hoof our asses all over the shop. You know what it's like. Glory said obviously deflecting the young woman's curiosity. She nodded. I hear that. Ever since the Minutemen, I realised I had a talent for machines, both fixing and pilot them. It's been Melissa go here, Melissa fix this, Melissa fly that. Doesn't stop, you know what I mean? Said both Gloria and Fuller nodded in unison. Did our people happen to drop something off for me? Gloria asked and Melissa nodded and pointed over to what looked like a cabin nearby. Yeah, it's in there. Those things always give me the creeps when there's no one in them. Kind of looking like looking at a shell of a person, you know? Melissa said as she pointed. Thanks. Back in a moment, Glory said before disappearing into the cabin. Fuller heard the telltale so- noises of a T-60 powering up. He'd always been a bit of a power armor buff and one thing he'd noticed is that all the suits not only had their own little quirks, but their own very distinct sounds. That while might to the uninitiated be unnoticeable, but to the cultured and the ones in the know, the differences were obvious. For instance, with the actuators and hydraulics being much more modern on an enclave armour, the opener procedure was much smoother and quieter than that of any of the old T variants. But if you listen closely, you could tell a T-60 from a T-45 with ease. Hell, if you spent as long studying them as he'd done in his spare time, you could even spot which variant of the models it was. By the way this one sounded, it was definitely a B, by its servo whine. A moment later, after it closed up and finished booting up and powering up, Glory clomped out into the open. Okay, wow, forgot what it feels like to have one of these damn things on. Oh boy, it feels weird, Glory said as she stepped out in the freshly painted black T-60B power armour. It had obviously been painted to cover up and remove all the Brotherhood markings which was pretty smart, as they wouldn't exactly be appreciative of people clomping around in their stolen power armour sets. Remember to let the armour to do the work. Don't try and fight against it. Just go with it, Fuller said as he noticed her shifting her balance almost constantly. She tried to get used to her new height. It was always a bit disconcerting when you first used these things due to the way they lifted you off the ground, but you still kind of felt like you were on it. Kind of like standing on stilts. You could easily throw off your strides, if you want, or you wound up looking at your feet to see where you had to put them. Okay, I got it, thanks. Hey, Owl, does this power armour suit make my bum look big? She said jokingly as he laughed, and as she struck a pose, cocking out her metal bum towards him. 
no bigger than mine, he said, copying her and making her laugh in return. Oh, great, your ass is huge in that thing, she said. Oh, thanks very much. I remember that the next time you're fishing for compliments, he said playfully. Miss Alyssa laughed out loud at the pair of them. You two ain't what I thought you'd be. You're a breath of fresh air, that's for sure. Well, all right, let's get a move on. I fucking hate being around this place. Gives me the fucking creeps. Let me just get my red suit on and we'll be off, she said, and she clambered up into the back of the Verdebird, where they both saw her pull out an oversized radiation suit that was sat on one of the benches. Once she had it on and was looking like she had a goldfish bowl on her, like helmet on her head, she gestured for them both to climb aboard before they both clambered up and locked themselves into the harnesses and the door gunner's points. We were about a ten minute flight from the glowing sea. From there we were about another ten from the drop off point. Once I drop you off I'm heading back to a safe zone outside of it. That flare gun there has three shells. Once you do what you need to do fire one off as high as you can and I'll come pick you up. Only do it from the landing site. I ain't circling around this little godforsaken place any longer than I have to. Like my hair on my head, thanks very much, Melissa said. Both of them nodded in response and Melissa started the engines up with a low growling whine as the jet turbines wound themselves up. You ever been in the sea before, Ol? Gloria asked and Fuller shook his head. It's a fucking nasty place. Comms don't work for shit in there. Hell, no electronics do just about. The only reason the power armor suits do is because they're shielded against the rads and EMP. And not even they'll last forever in this place, so let's not fuck about in here, okay? She said. Well, I wasn't planning on picking out a vacation home, Owl said a bit nervously. Good, because this is not exactly my idea of a romantic getaway, I can tell you that for fuck all. She replied, making him laugh, but almost so making his heart ache. The way she kept hinting at romance now was making him feel even worse about what he was going to have to do. It started as something to make them both feel alive and, dare he say it, human. Now it was so much more complicated and it had only been a couple of days. The glowing sea itself was pure nightmare fuel made reality. Dark dust clouds hung close to the ground creating a haze that never seemed to settle. Gave everything a deep septic yellow haze to it like looking at everything through a sepia lens. There was almost constant lightning flashes in the clouds as both the dust and the rads created a great ionic interference and static charge that led to arcs flashing through the sky. Oddly enough, they never seemed to strike the ground anywhere. Everything here was just gone, levelled completely to the point of being just rubble and dust. Buildings with any kind of integrity left were supreme rarity here. Fuller guessed it was a kind of natural shelter that would also draw creatures that called this hell home to them like magnets. No wonder the scientists and their synthrons had chosen to come here. Finding anything or anyone except death in this place was going to be a proper pain in the arse. Quite the regular hell on earth, isn't it? Melissa called back to them. You got that shit right. Seems some messed up places in my time, but fuck me, this beats all. Fuller said, looking down at the ground below them. Yeah, one of the eggheads I know back at the castle once told me this place got so hot and hard during the war, a lot of the elements and metals in the ground actually fused together under the stress and heat of it. Created some sort of fucked up a magnetic field here. It's why none of the instruments work properly, and why there's an almost constant dust cloud hanging in the air. It's like the ground itself actually repels the dust, which means it just kind of hangs there, keeping the rads permanently in the air. 
said it was what he called a state of constant fallout flux. So that after the bombs fell, a lot of the globe would have looked like this until everything settled. Just here got hit so many times, it just never did, she said. Well, that's fucking messed up, Fuller called up to her. I know, right? Gotta love it when silence and nature duke it out over who's the biggest cunt and can fuck us up the best. Malessa called back. Fuller looked down at the yellow haze and deconstruction that was dotted around with mutated monstrosities below them. She definitely wasn't wrong. We're 30 seconds out and it looks like we've got a hot LZ. Spin up the guns, guys. I'm going to orbit and let you clear it before we touch down. Melissa yelled back and Fuller squeezed the cycle triggers on the mounted 5mm minigun, making the barrels spin up. They spun faster and faster until they were cycling faster than the eye could see. Suddenly the vertebrae banked sharp left, dipping Fuller's gun towards the ground. Then she suddenly saw what she had seen. Appeared to be a few giant rad scorpions hanging about in the LZ. So Fuller lined up and squeezed the triggers. The minigun burst into life with this telltale buzzing noise as all the shots happened so fast that they blended into one, kind of like an engine revving constantly. But thanks to the traces, he could follow where his shots were headed and he managed to correct his aim so that his shots began to slam into the top plate of the armoured giant scorpions. Now, normally a 5mm round wasn't exactly what you wanted to fight a giant scorpion the size of a walking tank with, but thanks to the sheer amount of them that the minigun spat out, Fuller was able to use them to drill holes to their thick armoured carapaces to get to the meat underneath by keeping them in roughly the same spots they chipped through it. It wasn't exactly easy to hit the same spot multiple times with a weapon, not exactly known for accuracy, and from a moving vehicle at that, but he'd had more than a little practice at this. So just as his gun was about to overheat, the first of the four that he could see dropped to the floor in a heap with a bloody big hole in the top of its head. Melissa banked the vertebrate over to the right now and Fuller heard Glory open up as he let his gun cool down but kept the barrel spinning to speed that up as the glowing hot metal spun through the air, cooling it. As the vertebrate changed sides once again, bringing the scorpions back into his gun sight, he could see that Glory had nailed at one of them as well and it was now on its back with its legs curled up like a dead spider. There were two more remaining dancing about, waving their claws and tail stingers as aggressively at them at the circling aircraft. So Fuller opened up on them. As soon as the last one went down, Fuller heard the sharp clicking that indicated his drum had suddenly run dry and he did swapping out. I'm dry, he called towards Melissa. Don't worry, I'll swap it out when I'm landed. We're touching now, so get your big ass ready. Melissa yelled and swung the belly of the aircraft so it was now levelled out before Fuller heard the telltale whirring noise of the gear being deployed. No sooner had the wheels hit the dirt than both he and Glory jumped clear, allowing Melissa to lift off again so she didn't have to remain on the ground. With a final orbit and a, fo- and a wave, the young pilot took off into the haze, leaving them with just the haunting noises of the glowing sea and each other for company. It was only now that Fuller was able to make out the clicking of his Geiger counter over the background noise of the engines and guns. He was jumping about like a rad squirrel on a hot tin roof, indicating the suit was soaking up some serious rads out here. Let's not hang about. Here I'm not keen to find out if synths can become ghouls. Kinda li- and I kind of like your pretty skin on your bones where it belongs, if you don't mind. 
you know, plus I've got some plans with that pretty white skin of yours and none of them involve picking it up off the floor and giving it back to you in a parcel. Glory said, panning a weapon around the area. Any ideas where we should start? Fuller asked and Glory pointed the tails in some hazy distance. Bet there's caves up there and that's where my money would be, he said and Fuller nodded. All right then, sounds good to me. Let's get a shimmy on, he said and the pair began their long slog through the radioactive nightmare towards the crater-laden foothills in the distance. The stingwing exploded as Fuller's realm ripped right through it and slammed into the ground behind it. Holy shit, you're a fucking scary shot with that thing. Anyone ever tell you that? Glory asked as she watched the shattered insect fall to the ground about 500 metres away. Not really, because most don't ever get to see it, or anything else ever again after, Fuller said, visibly making Glory shiver in her armour. Damn, if I hadn't just seen you hit something the size of a cat on the wing with a single bullet half a kilometre away, I'd call you full of it. But with you, I can fucking believe it, she said, and he patted her shoulder. Don't worry, Glory, you got to see a part of me that next to no one has ever has. So, thanks for that, he said, and he stopped and then pointed. Hey, check it out. Look at that. Footprints. Human footprints. He said, and Glory stopped and shone a headlamp where he was pointing. Yeah, I think you're right. Looks to be about six of them by my reckoning. Hey, and look here. Two more outside of the outside of the group. My money says that these are the hunters. We've got to pick up the pace, Owl. They're on their trail, and trust me when I say these guys do not fuck about. Our group's in grave danger here, she said with a very hard note creeping into her voice. Well then, what are we waiting for? Let's get a move on. We've got some synths to save, Fuller said, quickly checking his weapon and then falling into step with glory. She followed the footsteps in the yellow dust. Fuller got an odd sense out here that it was kind of oddly calming, to be fair. He knew that despite the fact his subdermals were transmitting, nothing he was saying or doing was being received, thanks to the rads outside. It kind of gave him an odd sense of relief, as he's had to be so careful lately just because of them. He just hoped one of those scientists had a medical degree or at least some knowledge of surgery because maybe they could help him get these fucking things out of him. He could truly move on with his plan as it was painful as, as it was to think about. Fuller and Glory tracked the footprints in the dust for a couple of hours. It was obvious to Fuller that by the way they were moving that the runners were trying their best to throw off any potential trackers by doing things like walking in circles, switching back, using their footprints to walk backwards using things like rocks and the terrain to mask their tracks where they could. It was basic, but at least smart anti-surveillance tactics. But it wouldn't throw off a determined tracker for long, even in this environment. But that's when the pair spotted something that made them freeze up. Are those what I think they are? Glory asked, looking down into the crater, the small cave entrance on the other side. Well, if you think it's a cave entrance being guarded by six glowing death claws and two dead courses, then you'd be correct, Fuller said, using the term that Gloria taught them for the Institute Hunter Synths. How can you tell? Gloria asked, and he handed her the Geos rifle and pointed. Look how heavily armed they are, and what they're wearing beneath the rad suits fits with what you told me, he said, as she hoisted the weapon up to her eye. Yeah, you're right, and what's more, the track leads right into the cave. Don't get why the claws are hanging about here, though. It's too small for them to fit, so why are they hanging around? I've never known claws to stake out prey like that before. 
They can't kill something straight out. They usually just fuck off and leave it be and don't waste the energy. They're smarter than that, Glory said. Can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with that. Also pointing to a canister-shaped object near the cave entrance. What is it, do you reckon? She asked. Well, if I had to bet, it's going to be one of two things. It's either cub pheromones or highly concentrated male pheromones. Fuller said, and Glory looked at him rather suspiciously as he handed back his weapon. Why do you say that? she asked. I heard about some experiments the Enclave did back in the day with the things. They discovered claws have incredible guarding instincts, even towards nests that are not their own. They're never known to attack the young of others, no matter who they belong to, or if they belong to other death claws. Or, in fact, our scientists have actually seen them guard nests of complete strangers, if the mothers had to leave it unattended for a hunt from food for desperation, he said. Glory cocked her head. Oh, and what's that about the male pheromones, then? she asked. Female claws are supposed to have an incredibly high mating drive, and it's said the scent of a strong male triggers a powerful mating urge in them, so a solitary female will travel miles to track down a suitable male, who once they win them over, they'll keep for life. Look at all the claws down there. They're all girls, he said, pointing to the glowing claws that were pacing back and forth around the cave entrance and glancing at it continually, as if trying to spot their prey inside it. Seem to know a lot about death claws, Glory said, and he chuckled. I just read up on them. Think they're fascinating. Call me a nature buff, but I mean, just look at them. That's a whole lot of power packed into those scales right there, he said. Want me to see if one of them wants to go on a date with you? Glory asked playfully and Fuller had to stifle a laugh lest it echo into the crater and alert the girls. Think those girls have other things on their mind, if I'm honest. And they'd probably see you as another contender, he said with a grin under his helmet. Last time I checked, I was the winner of that particular contest. Glory shot back a little huffy, making him choke up again. Gotta say that that was a right smart move. I must have been planning this for quite a while. And to be able to get their hands on enough concentrated male core pheromones to bring in the cavalry? But I get the feeling not even the course would have been willingly walked in there with them girls walking around. So how did they get themselves ambushed? Glory asked. Been wondering that myself. And my guess is they released small amounts of the pheromones along the path to get the girls interested in following the trail. And once we were in the crater they must have set the canister up like a landmine with a remote trigger. Like either a hidden camera or a pressel or something. Perhaps even some laser trip mines. And when they passed through, it would have opened the canister up and bring in the cavalry, i.e. the girls. Fuller said, looking about. Glory thought for a moment, then nodded her head. Yeah, if they were smart enough to set this up, then it'd certainly be smart enough to come up with an ambush like that. When the course has tripped the trap, it must have sent enough pheromones into the air that brought the claws running, in the hope of getting lucky only to find some angry, shooty human motherfuckers here instead. And by that, dead claw must have opened up on them right as when they when they turned up, which, I'm guessing, enraged the other girls, and they attacked. Coarser or not, you're going to have a hell of a day trying to deal with that much angry claw bearing down on you, Laurie said, gesturing to the glowing claw girls, who were still stomping around the to sniffing things and turning over rocks like they were expecting their prize to pop out like a scaly jack-in-the-box from underneath. I guess the bigger question is, how do we move those girls on? For something tells me they ain't going to leave until they get themselves some, Fuller asked.
Well, you could always go down there with a bouquet of mole rat steaks, Glory said. Ha, bloody ha, Fuller said, but then an idea struck him. I think I got it. If we can move the canister, then the girls will follow the scent of it, right? He said. Well, yeah, I guess, but so what are you going to do? Walk in there and ask them for it politely? He asked, she asked, and Fuller grinned inside his armour before activating the stealth mode, which made him vanish from sight. Glory recoiled for a moment, then reached out and tapped the plates. Well, I'll be damned. Stealth boy mod. You enclave boys really do have all the best toys, don't you? She said. Oh, you have no idea. Okay, watch my back. This is going to get spicy, Fuller said. Well, I would if I could fucking see it, Glory shot back. Fair point. All right. I'm going. Keep your eyes on the canister. He said, and with that he lifted himself up and moved slowly and silently over the lips of the crater. Fuller's heart was pounding like a fucking drum in his chest as he moved slowly and silently into the crater itself. He was watching every single footfall, as he couldn't afford to slip on some loose rocks here. His power armour was running in silent running mode now, so all of its servos and hydraulics were near silent, which was easily covered by the ambient noise of the constant dust and radstorm that was going on around them. As he drew close, one of the large claw girls suddenly turned to look in his direction, and he froze solid. She was a big girl, and she stomped towards him, stopped a few feet away and lifted her large head up to sniff the air around her. From here, Fuller could see the glowing veins pulsing under her scales, while her large curved horns, which also glowed bright green, cut arcs in the dust. Her bright glowing eyes washed over him as she lowered herself on her haunches and she investigated a rock before turning and with a long swish of her long tail she set off under for another look for her elusive prize leaving Fuller to breathe a silent sigh of relief. Slowly he made his way forward dodging the claws and moving in sync with them until finally he arrived at the entrance to the cave. The canister itself was wedged in among some rocks near the entrance. As he got close, he could instantly see the assortment of trigger systems that had been fixed at the top of it. It was a silver cylinder about two foot in length and about five inches wide, making Fuller rather impressed that he actually managed to get as much male chlorurine to concentrate into pheromone spray to fill up a cylinder this size. Slowly, he crouched down and used his suit's sensors to analyse the device, which instantly revealed a plethora of trigger systems on it. It seemed to have everything from laser mo- to motion attached to it, so if the thing is touched or moved, it would trigger sending a jet of the stuff into the air, which instantly whipped those hopeful claw girls into a bit of a frenzy. So he was going to have to be careful here, unless he wanted to get peeled out of his suit by an overanalous radioactive claw girl, would probably rather confused as to why this strange human boy smelled like claw boy. Reaching in slowly, Fuller switched off the lasers first, just a simple flip switch. Next came the motion sensors, which required the removal of the wires from a series of small batteries in a square cluster around the pillar valve on top of the canister. But given the motion sensors, he had to be careful not to move the canister while doing so. Once they disarmed, the motion sensors went down as well, and Fuller double-checked to see if his work to see if there was anything else on the canister. But it looked clear, so slowly he began to lift it, and that's when he heard a telltale click that he knew very, 
very well and his heart sank like a stone. Instinct kicked in and Fuller ignited his jet pack on his back, clutching the canister to his chest as he rocketed upwards into the air, making all the cliff's claws whip around and look skywards in surprise. Fuck! Fuller yelled as the hidden landmine which had been under the canister detonated with a massive boom below him. The jet, powerful jetpack jumped him clear of the crater, making him land with a massive boom on top of a crumbled building nearby, which instantly caved in, taking him with it. Fortunately, the armour was incredibly tough stuff, and it weathered the debris raining down on it as he burst through the roof and landed inside the garage below. That's when he heard the roars of the angry claw girls coming from the crater, and he hoped that God Glory had scrambled her ass into cover as he heard the first stomping footprints, footfalls approaching the building. Quick as a flash, he activated both his night vision and his stealth systems again as he ran to the far side of the garage, which ironically still had an old car up on inspection ramps inside it. His first priority had to be getting the claw girls away from the building, then he could get back to glory. That's when an idea struck him and he looked around in a panic. He grabbed a large wrench off a shelf and ran over to a small window on the far side of the room before clambering up on an overturned metal tool chest. He could already hear the claws around outside scratching at a large metal shutter door trying to look for a way in. Fuller rested the canister on the window sill. He aimed it off towards a rather nasty looking lake in the distance. Now that he knew this was going to get him sprayed when he really didn't have a choice here. He just hoped that they followed the source and didn't track him instead. With a yell he brought the large wrench down on the pillar valve and knocked it clean off. There was a whoosh as the contents began to eject right into his face, coating him and the suit. Thankfully, there was more than enough pressure in the canister to send it rocketing off out of his hand like a piss-powered bottle rocket. The noise, more importantly the smell, really caught the core girl's attention, and he could hear them sniffing the air as the makeshift piss missile left a trail of vapour in his wake as it headed on its merry way towards the lake. It worked. With a series of bellowing roars, the girls set off in a charge towards the lake following the noise and the scent. Fuller suddenly felt really, really sorry for any denizens that lived in that lake, as they were about to have a rude awakening in the form of a couple of tons of very horny, frustrated claw girls bursting into their home, ready to bounce their tails over anything that vaguely resembled a male. Once he was sure the coast was clear, Fuller headed to the garage door and using the armour's strength, he levered it up and stepped out to find Glory standing on the other side of it. Holy fucking shit, Owl! She yelled, grabbing him and holding him tightly and clanking her arm together before leaping back as she remembered about the Tesla coils. I'm alright, just a little shook up. Fuck me, that was a close one. Didn't see that fucking landmine hidden under the damn thing and my senses didn't pick it up. My own stupid fault, he said as she let go and cuffed him over the side of the helmet for scaring the shit out of her. I'm just glad you're okay. All I saw was you pulling a fucking rocket man routine out of there and boom, the whole place goes fucking crazy. I'm just a little lucky those girls were all looking skyward so they definitely would have seen me. But then they all charged off after you and I thought for sure I was going to have a, a minigun the fucking lot of them. But then I see that bottle flying out of the window and then I'm all running off of the lake down there. How the fuck did you pull that off? She asked. Knocked the valve off with a wrench? He said, and she laughed. Smart thinking. He said, and that's when something occurred to Fuller. He had an opportunity here. 
money couldn't afford to waste. He'd been trying to figure out this very last step in his plan, and it was definitely an obvious hole, but now he had a way of plugging it. We've got a bit of another problem, he said, and he saw Glory tense up in her armour. What now? she asked. I think the knock kicked my fucking tracing chips back into gear. He said, now she definitely tensed up. Tracking chips? What fucking tracking chips? She asked. Every ESF member is chipped with a series of tracking chips to keep the tabs on us. When I faked my death, I knocked mine offline using a powerful EMP pulse. We shut them down, but it wasn't permanent. But I felt the fucking things come back online. They broadcast a signal into my ear canal that I heard telling me they're online again. I can't leave the fucking glowing sea until these things are gone for good, he said solemnly. You're fucking chipped, she exclaimed and he nodded. We all are, but we're perfectly safe here from the rads. We'll stop them from being detected. I know the radiation interferes with the fucking things and their broadcasts, but we need to get them out to me before we leave this place, or you're going to need to leave me behind, because the moment I leave the rads, it'll bring the ESF down on our fucking heads. He said solemnly. Well, there's no way option two is happening, mister. I ain't fucking leaving you behind. Not after I've waited this fucking long to find someone like you. So we go with option one. We'll speak to the science team when we find them. One of them's got to be a doctor of some kind. They'll be able to get them out of you. I know it, Glory said, trying to sound confident. But Fuller could hear the worry in her voice. Another thing he heard was a near-out-all-out confession of love. His heart broke clean in two. He patted her shoulder. Thanks, Glory. That means a lot to me. Now, let's get out of here before the horny claw cheerleading squad comes back, pissed off that they got duped again. He said, and she laughed and nodded. The pair turned and headed back up to the crater. They were glad that the blast hadn't collapsed the entrance to the cave. All right, let's be careful. We already know these guys like traps. And they're pretty damn good at setting them, so let's watch our steps in there. Well, they said, gesturing to the floor, and Glory nodded silently before the pair headed deeper into the cave. It was tight going, but the pair moved slowly. Fuller checked everything and looked out of place like rocks and crevasses. It slowed things right down, but it was better safe than sorry. But eventually, they reached a large chamber. And no sooner had Fuller set foot into it than a laser shot hit the wall next to him causing him to spin and charge forward, lifting his weapon as he did, which caused the figure to dive out from behind a rock, obviously not expecting the attacker to rush directly at them. Hands up! Don't move! Fuller yelled, levering his rifle on the person, who was wearing a full white radiation suit. The person dropped the odd-looking rifle and raised their hands to the side of their head, while raising up onto their knees. Easy, Owl. These are our guys, Glory said from behind him. Fuller lowered his rifle and then noticed a few shapes moving behind the large rocks and stalagmites behind the figure. It's all right. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. We're here with the railroad, Fuller said, and the figure lifted their head, revealing the face of a young man inside the suit. The railroad? Here? Oh, thank God, the man said with obvious relief in his voice. You're safe now. Here, come on, get up. Fuller said, offering a hand to the man who took it, and he pulled him up. Please, you have to help us. They're coming for us, the scientist said. Don't worry, we're going to do all we can to help you get out. 
Paul said. But first, we need your help, Corey said, and the man looked confused. Oh, this was going to be a fun conversation to explain. Yeah, so that was chapter 83, ladies and gentlemen. But are Glory and Fuller going to be able to get those chips out of them? Are any of the scientists t- going to be equipped with a medical degree of any kind that's going to help? And are the horny chloro cheerleading squad ever going to find that date they're looking for? Could only be one way to find the answers to those questions and so many more. Gonna have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.